0: just steps into the kingdom of Waldorbusier and I welcome you back. And for any new listeners, simply welcome. Today's story is fairly long, so I've split it into parts. This is part three. If you haven't listened to part one and two, head over to the Waldorbusier episode called The Ghoul One, The Warning of the Dragon Invasion, and then listen to part two, which is named The Ghoul Two magical steam and smoke. Now for the story. The smoke was getting worse. He was blindly walloping into dragon trainers and stalagmites more often because nobody could look where they were going due to the smoke that shrouded their vision. The thought of avoiding crashing into other trainers by simply standing still crossed Gladio's mind. However. That wasn't an option. He had to escape the tunnels before the smoke became so thick that it would crush him. When he smacked into a dragon trainer for the 25th time, he was battered off his feet and was sent sprawling. The cold, clammy hand of the dragon trainer gripped his arm tightly. The dragon trainer pounced on him, and the hand moved from Gladio's arm to his neck. Of course, the strangling didn't affect Gladio, since Vampirnice had no need to breathe. In the name of King Ronald and Queen Agatha, what do you think you are doing? Gladio questioned. Gladio wrestled the trainer off him with great difficulty. Surely humans weren't meant to be as strong as the one who had assaulted him. It took a a while for the trainer to find him again. Strangely, the trainer seems to be winning the violent struggle. This wasn't supposed to be possible. Not in a history of vampirnithes had a human been victorious in a battle against a vampirnithe. As the brawl continued, free talons buries themselves deep into Gladio's skin. He let out a shriek of agony. It wasn't a dragon trainer. Humans didn't have talons. Meanwhile, Pedro Klausman and Ivory skimmed the edge of the growing cloud of steam, outstretched was klausmann's arm which was holding a smaller version of the jar gladio had used to contain the poisonous oxygen ivory seemed to have stopped resisting pedri's instructions perhaps it was because she hadn't wanted to venture near the dragons but after the dragons had left them alone she had relaxed when pedri's jar filled With the enchanted steam, he screwed on the jar's cap. Instantly, it began to tremble. Thin, spidery cracks began to engrave themselves on the jar's glass. A few seconds later, the jar's glass shattered. In the place where the jar used to be was more smoke than the quantity which was originally in the jar. It was enough to tell Pedro everything he needed to know. He knew exactly how the cloud had formed and how to end the rapid growth of the cloud. But what he still didn't know was that his own apprentice had caused the cloud to form. Ivory selected a route to Klausman's workrooms, which didn't involve gliding through the cloud of enchanted steam. When Ivory landed beside the oak tree, she found that the mayor of Locust had beaten her to it. Hello, my dear old friend, the mayor greeted. What brings you here, Vladimir? asked Pedro. The mayor didn't answer, but he still said something. you requested that I trick Gladio into drinking the blood of a live creature, which will cause him to gain the soul of the living animal of which it drinks from. I know what I asked ye to do, stated Klausmann. Now, Vladimir, step aside. I have more urgent tasks than to have a chin wag with ye. This is important, Mr Klausman. I don't care, Vladimir. Get out of the way. The mayor didn't move. If you want me to do as you asked, then you must provide the vulpers. I can't provide the vulpers, because the job will require a great deal of thinking and fighting, and I'm not exactly as clever and warrior-like as you, spoke Vladimir. A vulpers is a cross between a wolf and a fox. It possesses supernatural abilities and strength. They are famous for communicating with gods and for possessing supreme geographic knowledge. The plan was that a Vulpes would be the live creature Gladio would steal a soul and drink from. If you can't provide the vulpers, then I shall ask another friend to trick Gladio and I won't pay you the salary which you needs to refurbish, Locusts and protects the few Locust dwellers from the malevolent spirits which roam the city streets. It's as simple as that, Pedro replied. You provide the vulpers, and I trick Gladio. I used to be a warlock, just like you. By using my old skills, I have cursed this tree. The curse is that if you do not provide the vulpers, you will never be able to enter your workrooms again. I know that you are trying to extract the magic from the cloud, and, like you, I also know that Gladio is in the cloud. Vladimir gestured towards the amulet which was pointing at the cloud. If you don't provide the vulpers, you won't have access to the equipment required to extract the magic from the smoke. In several hours, the smoke will be so dense that anyone and anything that is inside the cloud will surely be crushed. This will mean that your beloved Gladio, who you have raised and cared for, will painfully perish, Vladimir explained as a punishment for cursing my workrooms, you shall receive no payment after you trick Gladio. Claspan turned and strode towards Ivory. Unfortunately, that punishment is not possible, because the curse also will banish you from your workrooms if you do not pay me when I trick Gladio. I'm sure that you will be willing to pay me five billion Amazonites in order to keep the workrooms in your possession. It wasn't like Klausman to swear, and this was one of the rare occasions when he did. Let the cre- let the creation goddess burn your soul, Pedro snarled. In response, Vladimir just laughed. Vulpers generally live in urban areas, and a hotbed of vulpers, was a city on the outskirts of Waldorbusia named Regia. Regia was a city which was shared by both Waldorbusians and wildlife, so it wasn't just the vulpers who thrived in Regia. Buildings in Regia were almost entirely covered in v- in vines, creepers, fungi and other plants, so it was hard to tell if the structures were built from stone or leaves. Régia was a haven of peace. As Pedro passed the inhabitants of Régia, they gawped at Ivory as if their lower jaws wanted to touch the ground. Klausmann didn't blame them. Not many World Albusians had laid eyes on a Pegasus, and Ivory was the first albino Pegasus that had existed. Ivory trotted through the village in a calm manner, unaware of what Pedro wanted her to do. Pedro began weeping. Why was he depressed? She made an effort to comfort him by gently nudging him with her muzzle but it seems to only worsen his mood. They reached the town square. The ground of the square was cobbled and matted in moss. In the centre of the square was a marble fountain with cherubs and fairies intricately carved in a stone. Children were using the square as a playground, and the air was filled with the sound of their shrieks and laughter as they played their games, which they paused when they saw Ivory. In the waters of the fountain were frolicking and splashing vulpers. Their fur was glistening in the sunlight, and the fur was mostly silver in colour with orange streaks also imprinted on it. Their eyes were entirely black, and their tails were identical to a tail of a fox's. "'Go on, girl,' Pedro nodded towards the vultures. "'What did Pedro mean?' Ivory wondered. "'Blast them with your horn. "'Do what you did with the dragons,' he commanded." Vulpers were stronger than you or I could imagine. The magical power surge generated from Ivory's horn killed around 20 dragons. But if the same blast hit a Vulpers, it would merely just ricochet off their coat of fur. If a blast from Ivory's horn was at its most powerful, it would knock a Vulpers out cold but it wouldn't take Evolpurs anywhere near death. Launching a horn blast was exactly what Pedro had in mind. The problem was that if Ivory obeyed Pedro's order, that would be the last time Ivory would obey Pedro. Pedro was weeping because he would lose a treasured friend of his. Pedro would lose Ivory. A Pegasus cannot live without its magical energy, and the magic in a Pegasus is limited. The way a Pegasus loses magical energy is by launching a horn blast. If a Hornblast would be at its maximum power, all of the max- magical energy inside the Pegasus would be required, to- and the Pegasus would die. There was no other way. If Pedro battled the Volpers, then the Volpers would easily be victorious. Ivory backs away. She spread her wings and was about to fly away from Pedro when he said, If you do not release the energy, Waldorbissia will be shrouded with smoke. And every single one of us shall die because the equipment to make the smoke disperse is inside my workrooms and the smoke will crush everyone and everything. I'm so, so sorry. There was a pause. Pedro sprinted away from the square to protect himself from the blast. Then the square was filled with bright blinding light which incinerated every child that was in the square. The vulpers lay unconscious in the fountain and, upon the scorched, ash-smothered cobbles, lay lifeless ivory. Finally, Pedro obtained the equipment that was necessary for extracting the magic. The smoke vanished. Gladio's brawl with the mysterious creature continued until their vision was clear enough to sight each other. Gladio's attacker was a female vampirnife. The battle wouldn't continue because in vampranife law, a knife killing another vampire was a crime that was twice as unthinkable as a vampyrnife killing a human. What were you doing? Gladio winced in pain when he moved his arm. The other vampire knife had been close to defeating him, and he would have been slaughtered by her had the smoke not dispersed. I mistook you as a dragon trainer. Sorry, she apologized. Why would you want to assault a dragon trainer? Gladio asked. To kill them and drink their blood, of course. "'She replied. "'But killing a human and drinking from the human is a crime,' said Gladio. "'She shrugged. "'What would you do? "'Would you break a vampire knife law or starve to death? "'Anyway, why were you in the dragon caves in the first place?' "'To save World from an invasion from dragons,' he answered. "'What about you?' I was here because of the same reason as you. It's a coincidence, isn't it? I suppose it's not that strange, though. I mean, every vampire knife would pounce on a chance to save Waldor Busier, she said. I'm Clypeos Ferox, she introduced. Gladio is my name, Gladio Klausman. Listen, if Waldor Busier is in danger, let me know. Clypeus told gladio you can do this by visiting my heart positioned on the peak of red bear mountain it's the mountain beside eagle teeth mountain which is the entrance to the kingdom bellower a few days later gladio was bounding towards Pedro's workrooms he took a shortcut through Locust. he was passing the boarded up theater When about a hundred Mobularians displayed themselves to Gladio, emerging from their hiding spots. The Mobularians had been stalking Gladio and had waited until Gladio was in a place where he had nowhere to run. In a previous episode, Gladio promised to King Roderick that he would replace the king's stolen frame. But he only made the promise so that he could bribe the king into giving him the directions to the dragon caves. Gladio couldn't be bothered to keep to the promise. Since the king was in desperate need of a new throne and the king didn't have enough money to buy a throne, he ordered his men to hunt down Gladio and torture him until he agreed to keep to his promise. A portly man who had a crossbow pointed in Gladio's direction cleared his throat. You have a choice. Hand over the money needed to pay for a throne. Hand over a throne or endure torture and painful labour until your death. Gladio didn't answer. He stood motionless in the alleyway for a dozen moments. He wasn't sure how to reply to the Mobiliarian. After twenty minutes, he could sense movement. There seemed to be more men coming. Suddenly, a shrill Waldolbyssia bra- battle cry sounded, and fifty Waldolbyssians massacred a portion of the Mobularians. Shields and swords clashed, and even the homeless beggars and the spirits of Locust joined in. The beggars and phantoms thrusted rotten fruits and rubbish from bins at the Mobularians, and it wasn't long before the Mobularians summoned back up. There was a thunderstorm, but it wasn't just like lightning and sleet that was plummeting down from the sky. There was also rotten fruit, rubbish, fireballs, arrows, projectiles, and dead bodies. And so... The battle of Le- Lucas had begun. Gladier looked closer at the bold Orbitians that were battling, and then he realised who they were. They were the same guards who had been positioned around the mayor's mansion when Vladimir had informed, informed him about the drunken invasion. By rescuing Gladier. This was the mayor's way of proving that he truly hadn't been aiming to assassinate Gladio, back when Vladimir had been explaining Gladio's first task, which he had to accomplish in order to claim his food. Thanks for listening. If you're a creative or are a talented author, listen up, because you can write your own story based in Moldovicia, just like the one which I've told in this podcast episode. I will choose the stories which I think are worth telling and share them to the rest of Waldorf listeners as an episode. There is not a limit on the length or the shortness of a story. Anything can happen in it, and if your first story doesn't make it to the podcast, you can always try again. To submit your tale, you can do so by sending a story as an email to worldalbissier at com. That's worldalbissier at com, and all of the characters are in lowercase. You can send me an email if you would like me to ad- advertise your product or if you would like to give me feedback about my podcast too. In the first episode... I said I would set up a website for sh- story submissions, but I changed my mind and set up an email account because I thought it would be easier to submit stories in this way. Today's World Albusier article is about Pegasi. Now for the extract. A Pegasus. It's a symbol of freedom, wisdom and power, which is the reason it is portrayed on the Woldalbysia national flag. Tribes of Pegasi live all over Woldalbysia. Usually their settlements are on tropical, humid desert islands. Each tribe consists of a unique species of Pegasi. They are the fastest flying creature in Woldalbysia. This is describing the Pegasi of Light. However, there is also another version of the Pegasi which is named the Pegasi of Darkness. The difference between them is that the Pegasi of Light have light shades of fair colour and are noble and warm-hearted. The Pegasi of Darkness have darker shades of fair colour and have malevolent, cruel souls. The Pegasi of Darkness don't live in tribes. Instead, they live alone. It is a tradition of the Pegasi of Darkness to abandon their family and continue their lives alone when the Pegasus of Darkness reaches the age of full. The Pegasi of Darkness have contact with evil-minded gods and the Pegasi of Light have contact with the gods of the opposite character. The Pegasi of Darkness usually dwells in cold, wet places like glaciers or icebergs. Only the Pegasi of Light can possibly be tamed by a world See you next time!